thrilled you are here with us. 100 Creatives represents a collective of individuals across creative and educational sectors that seek to learn from one another and share insights, ideas, and start conversation. We gather together at our virtual roundtable to explore the intersection of creativity and how it relates to our individual selves and also to community impact. I am your host, Angela Popplewell, and I am the CEO of 100 Cameras, a nonprofit organization that equips youth worldwide with tools to process and tell their stories through photography. Each podcast episode hosts a group of voices, from members of our 100 Cameras Board of Creatives to program educators to youth participants from programs all across the world, even to special guest appearances from our brand partners and friends who share in the commitment that creativity and self-expression should be available to all. Romina Hentelin was born in Venezuela and holds a BA in mass media with a major in audiovisual arts from the Catholic University in Caracas. As a graduate of the International Center of Photography in NYC, currently she is enrolled in the Master in Visual and Media Anthropology at Freie Universität Berlin. Romina has participated in group shows in Caracas and New York, and her work for the past 10 years has been an exploration of the human condition through the exchange of conversations and photography. Romina has led a 100 cameras program in Cucuta, Colombia. Elizabeth Schumer, born in Venezuela, is a doctor of dental surgery and received a master's in oral surgery from Universidad Central de Venezuela and New York University. Elizabeth is the cultural promoter and photography projects coordinator for the organization Espacio Ana Frank, and she has been co-curator in different photography exhibitions, as well as her work has been published in various digital magazines and publications. Elizabeth has led two 100 cameras programs in Caracas, Venezuela. Lydia Bellings is a photographer photography teacher and the COO of 100 Cameras. She has helped to build the organization to become a model that supports tens of thousands of youth worldwide and has helped lead partnerships with Apple, Fujifilm, Adobe, Framebridge, and more. Hi, Romina and Elizabeth. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this afternoon. We're so excited to be with you both as two individual incredible educators and artists and creatives, but also to have you together. There's something really special about this group and having you both together today. So thank you for being with us. Tell us, where are you in the world? Tell us where you're saying hello from and then Elizabeth, I'll ask you to do the same. Okay, so hi, Lydia, Angela, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for this invitation. I'm honored and also very excited to to speak with all of you. At the moment, I am in Argentina, in the city of Buenos Aires. This is where my family is from, although I'm Venezuelan, let's say 95%. <laughs> but I actually live in New York City. I'm just spending a season here. Great for me as well. It's such a pleasure always that to continue on being related to you guys, Angela and Lydia, and especially Romina, that we connected through a private friendship that we have and we didn't know we were, co we were going to come this far together and have so many things in common. So I really appreciate very much uh, being able to have a relation with her, be invited with her to these kind of events. It's really profiting and very nourishing and I'm, I'm very happy to be here today in Venezuela, which is where I live and here and now. I have forgotten about the personal connection. Can you remind me, Thanks. you have a mutual friend before you found 100 Tavras? Yes, actually, Romina is best friends with the daughter of the director of Estaciona Frank. Wow. Oh, I don't think I knew that. 
Yes, 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 indeed. <laughs> and it's funny because the director of Espacio and Frank, Ilana Baker, is it's friends with my husband since they're eight. They're they're companions in school, and they're very good friends. But actually, my friendship with her went like above <laughs> his friendship with her. So it's it, it, she always spoke to me about this photographer, friends of her daughter that made these beautiful images that I made of Melanie when she got married. And I was, wow, I love them. She's great, whatever. And then we connected. So it's, it's great. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Also the fact that, Elizabeth, you're part of Espacio Ana Frank, which is such an amazing NGO. And it does such an important work. And then knowing that you, you know, are, are partnering all the time with 100 cameras, I was like, wow, okay. We're super connected. <laughs> we, we, we like similar things, so we should be more in contact for sure. Absolutely. I agree with that. <laughs> wow. What an amazing just connection and the, the way that the world can stitch us together in unexpected ways. It's so wonderful. Every time somebody says that, I always say it's not a casualty, but I don't know in, in English if you say cost effect. In Spanish, we say it's not casualidad. It's causalidad. It's like a cause effect thing. So you, you think it's, it's casualty, but it's things that get connected because of the sharing same energy, same interests and same purpose. So you get in the way of people like you guys. Wow. You were meant to find one another one way or another. And Elizabeth, for those who don't know, who might be listening, who aren't familiar with Espancio Ana Frank, do you want to share anything else about that organization? And Romina, of course, I want to hear your experience with the 100 Cameras program that you led last year. You both just have such wonderful overlap in, in who you are as creatives. But specifically, I'd love to hear about the local organizations that you that you've both gotten to work with and build community with. Well, Espacio Ana Frank, it's a nonprofit that works in Venezuela for uh, 13 years. It's been, it's been created by two incredible women who believe that, that something needed to be done to promote coexistence and a way of living in together and sharing space with one another. So they created this space to promote the respect for the differences the personal and individual and collective responsibility towards one another and uh, bravery, especially bravery, because you, you need to perform bravery in, in the situations where you don't see these previous things happening. So we promote all that through educational and cultural projects. And we have so many activities and we support ourselves a lot in graphic design because we always created Every memorabilia and every piece of educational material we use, it's based upon an important part of the image being created by design, because through the image, you can express and promote and cultivate more easily the concept of coexistence, which is very abstract and very difficult to digest. So in terms to communicate it through the programs from small children through the university, we use uh, lots of uh, exhibitions that we have that are nourished by a contest that we have for 13 years nonstop, which is the Salon Nacional of Coexistence. It's a, a graphic design contest that grew into photography and illustration and all the material that it comes from the winners and the selected uh, people 
we use that material for our educational program. So it's a very interesting. So rich and just such an important reminder that while there isn't a spoken universal language, we do have ways to communicate and express and connect with one another across language barriers or what have you. So she's wonderful. Exactly. Romina, tell us a bit about your experience reading the 100 Cameras program last year. And then I know you're gearing up for a second. And I know, Elizabeth, you're in the middle of a second program. So again, lots to talk about. And we'd love to hear what is your firsthand experience being with the students? What did their lives look like? What did you learn? And what are you looking forward to in the next program? Thank you. Thank you for the question. I did the first program with a handbread cameras in 2020, actually. It was like just a little before the pandemic. I know it sounds like it was. I don't even, I can't even keep track of the time. (laughs) It's fine. It's a, it was all a blur as well because yeah, pandemic years are all, now we want to shrink them. It was on this little amount of time, but I worked uh, on the first program with an organization called Scalabrini International Migration Network. I went to the, and they're in several parts of Latin America and they work in Colombia, which is where I went as a, as a master's student to do my thesis. And as I was developing my thesis, I wanted to teach photography to a community that could need the skills or could be benefit from learning them. And so SIN uh, is an organization that works with migrants and through a school, we were able to select five students from Colombia and five from Venezuela so that we could have a group that could integrate through the activities and through the learning of photography. And it was amazing. I think it was a beautiful experience. I was blown away by the curriculum of 100 cameras. I've taught photography for many years, and it's just so beautiful to see how well integrated is photography and the written word and and thinking beyond the visual, because it is the camera that allows you to start the conversation, but then every question that is made through the curriculum allows them to go further. So it was really nice to see them engage with their environment, to get to know other places around that through the program they were able to see. And their life might look very simple, but it's very rich in what they bring to those images. And the images they created are just stunning. I feel so inspired every time I see them. I know the people who follow 100 cameras and and know about our programs are blown away by them as well. And I'm curious if you have any sense of why was or why is an experience like this meaningful specifically for that group of 10 students? And Elizabeth, I'll ask you the same. Why, what do you see in terms of the value or the impact or the meaning of a creative program that's using visual art, communication, photography as the sort of language? What is impactful about that in your experience with working with you? Excellent. <laughs> Great. Yes, actually, I am. I'm very impressed because when I landed into the relation with the 100 cameras was because we actually had 
created here a program in Espacio en Frank. I, in, in one of the moments of the Salon Nacional de Coexistencia, which happens from March to June every year, when I was developing the category of photography, I was inviting the judges and somebody just suggested the fact of working with, with disposable cameras and diaries, experiences that have been done by Will McKay. In Venezuela, we have a very important experience with Diana Rangel, who created a program that has awarded many. She's a, she's a specialist in a social studies and she created this program with the disposable cameras. So I, I had like a lot of reference. And I decided to create a Coexistence 38 uh, Views, which I went to this uh, barrio the same as the first program I did in, in the boxing area. And I gave out these disposable cameras with just very simple instructions, just thinking that the problem was for one month and they needed to think that it was an image a day because the, you know, disposable cameras have 29 or 27 uh, images available and then diaries to either prepare the images in advance or record the image they were doing all the way. So it was amazing. I mean, it's one of these things that it's like a lifetime, once in a lifetime happening. It, it was a program that gave us so many uh, rewards emotionally and it was so important here. And then I see that Ricardo Jimenez brings to me an email with this huge opportunity that you were giving in that moment to win the possibility of leading a program. So I go in and read the whole super long thing and I see we already just did that last year with another name and in a different way and very spontaneously and with no support and with no logical program. So I think this is like the other thing brought us to you and we had an amazing experience and going Straight to your question, I think that when you, everything is so simple as opportunities. When somebody asks me if I have to say one word, it's an opportunity. Because when you give these sort of children with our less privileged, the opportunity of seeing, of experiencing, of getting all these uh, amazements. There, there is a, a very important word in use with the image, which is amazement, because you lose the ability of being amazed by what you see. So when you go out and you are all so excited to see all these things that you bring up in your program and the way that it's developed, that it's not only techni te technicities, it's emotions and it's from inside of you is exactly what we adults do when we do photographic pro projects. When you do develop your personal work, you need to put all this mishmash together to create something that actually somebody is able to read something in it. Otherwise, it's empty. So these kids, they absorb like sponges or everything <laughs> that, that you give them. And they, they are so spontaneous and so smart and so great that they produce things and they actually amaze us with the product of their work. So I'm super happy to leave. Actually, it's the second time and I hope it's not the last. Oh, both of you, you are 100 cameras, family members for life. There is <laughs> no end in sight. We're just so honored and moved to be able to work alongside you both. So absolutely not the last. Thank you, Lydia. <laughs> so I come now, but let's see. The original question was like, what does this do to the kids? What is it that, how does this impact? 
Like right? Yeah. Program. What did you observe was the meaning that they derived from the program or the impact it had on them, whether they articulated it or not? What did you observe? First of all, the population that I decided to work with is a population that doesn't have a lot of needs. It's a very vulnerable population. And to have a camera in their hands, it's something that is not common, first of all. And to have an opportunity to learn a skill besides the ones that they learn in school is also a privilege. So the first thing I realized was when we wanted to do the program, there were more students than cameras that were interested. And so they had to apply by writing why they wanted to do the program. And it, it was very beautiful to read what they had to say and why they wanted to learn this new skill. So it started there first, like realizing like their aims or their desires, dreams with the program. Then while they were uh, doing the program, it was really amazing to see them explore and, and practice and try to figure out how to use the camera and, and to tell stories. Because as we were seeing other students' photographs, it was nice to see the reaction of other students and understand that everyone sees the same thing differently. So I think that's one of the beautiful things about teaching photography to a group, whatever that age group is, the fact that we're all going to see it differently. Even if we stand on the same perspective, we might see it differently and frame differently. And that was really beautiful, I think, for them as well. And then at the end, when we actually gave them the cameras to keep them, that was really like tears in their eyes type of uh, thing because they didn't expect it and they were extremely grateful to continue to have the tool with them in the case that we were able to do that for them. I think it's a combination through the process. It was really beautiful to see the different reactions that these kids had. And I'm sure that this is an experience that they will treasure forever. Thank you both for sharing all of that. I think there's something really special about that, Romina, that over time we can observe the progress made. And, and Elizabeth, I know you've, you're now in the middle of your second program using the 100 cameras curriculum. Have you kept in touch with any of the students from the first program or do you have anything you'd like to share about where they are now? Or is that tool of making images and communicating a story visually, is that something that's deepening in the community or for those students? Or, and it's okay if the answer is no, of course, this is a sort of jumping off point that can lead a young person in many different directions, whether they continue taking photos or not. But anything you'd like to just reflect on since the first program? Absolutely. You know that on the first occasion, it's like with, in my relation with you guys, it's like a mind reading thing because things that I evaluate, then I see happening. Actually, I translated the material on the first time. And then when I went to the revision on the second time and I translated it, they were changes in things that I actually thought to begin with in the previous program that were like maybe are set up for a certain community, but you know, Latin American, a less favored communities are very different from the ones in the U.S. I, I have seen less favored communities in the U.S., but even those communities are a better favored than ours because the lack, the lacking of basics here, it's deeper. So the, some th sometimes you would think like how 
worse can a situation go? And it can go as worse as the basics that in the United States, the basics, super ultra basics are, are mostly covered in these communities, whereas here, you know, Romina, I think she can agree on what I'm explaining because she knows what, what I'm talking about. So you can see that the lacking, it, it's worse. Uh, when I, certain questions, maybe it's strong to use like hurtful, but some questions were so redundant into not having certain basics that I actually avoided them in the first uh, program because I thought they weren't going to do any benefit by asking you something that you definitely cannot answer or it's something that it's definitely a no. So it's like the fact of adapting the program to your sensibility of the community that you are working with, which I think it's very important. Like it's not just following the leader, uh, just going, having these in a mechanical thing. You really have to evaluate, as Romina says, I, I love her. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that approach next time I, by, by applying to the program. I think it's an amazing thing and gives you a sense of responsibility that sometimes you can avoid by choosing somebody that you believed was going to be more enthusiastic about the program and then because of their characteristics and then you find that this one wasn't that much and then the other one that you didn't believe, he's like the superstar. So it's, it, it's very interesting. And this occasion, I am super thrilled by the honor of ha having the opportunity of giving them the tool. Because I really tried to do a, a, a action in the first program to try to gain a, a cameras for them, which I couldn't do it. And I think this is the reason why probably they just, the program faded into them afterwards. I'm sure it left many positive things into them. It's like us. If you don't have the tool, it's you cannot keep on going and growing into the, the, the learning, no? So it's, it's very important and I'm super grateful. And I can't even say how much grateful I am of being able to have these, these tools given by you, because this is a game changer. You're absolutely right. And the word you've used over and over opportunity and having opportunity to access a tool for self-expression is just so critical. And what you spoke about really adapting the curriculum, whether it's this particular program or any experience in any community around the world, there has to be that local, connected, deeply connected leadership and educator who has, we say on the pulse, like they're deeply connected to the reality of that environment so that the curriculum or the program or whatever methodology is being applied can be really appropriate and uplifting and we are so grateful to both of you. You've both just done an incredible job at those types of adaptations because without you and without the, the program leaders and educators that we have gotten to work with over the years, the curriculum is just words on paper. It's you who bring it to life and make it as valuable as it can be. And we're just so honored that you spend your time, Elizabeth, making translations and just putting the work and the thoughtfulness into bringing it to life off the paper. So thank you for that. Thank you both. No, imagine it's, it's the other way around. <laughs> and you have to agree with Elizabeth in that it is crucial for the teachers to facilitators, teachers to understand the population they're, they're working with. Because yes, there are 
questions that might be, I mean, it's, it's a two side type of uh, thing, no, that can come out of it. It can be like a way to think about something that they hadn't thought of, or it can be, it, which at the same time can be a good thing, but it can also bring up a reality that it might be like very much uh, for us in our face and not so much in their face because th that's what they know. It depends also how much they have gone out of place that they live in. So for example, in my case, I, I work with, as I said, population that are migrants and that are also part of citizens of Colombia and also Venezuelans. And in many cases, some of the kids they're not documented. They don't have papers. And so that plays a role into what they're going to feel and think depending on the approach that we take. And it's very beautiful to also go through that experience and think about the ways in which you facilitate the conversation and the storytelling. And also it's very beautiful to see how by having those conversations out loud with whoever wanted to like share that also makes everyone else learn about those experiences. Before the podcast started, I went through my hard drive and, and went back to 2020 before the pandemic existed and started to look at the pictures and, and, and I took a lot of pictures of what they wrote. And so I was reading a bit and remembering those moments more vividly and I do remember like some moments of I, mostly on the last day that we did a field trip and they were sharing uh, some personal experiences and it was very beautiful to see everyone's reactions and to all the sensibility that was like flowing in the air was so much, I think, a special moment to say the least, because not every day you get to be in those kind of special moments that bring up Beautiful tears, maybe not so much tears of sadness, but tears of, I don't know, maybe it's compassion. Maybe it's re you get, you are related to the other person, by what they're saying. And yeah, I think that's all brought up not to do like a sponsorship here, but it's brought up by the curriculum that you put uh, in place because those are the questions that we prompt. So yeah, lots of beautiful experiences for sure come out of this program. <laughs> I do agree with you a hundred percent and I feel exactly the same. So it's, if I were saying your words and also one thing I love about the program, it's also an opportunity for me because I, I believe myself as being a creative impulsor. I'm like always thinking about creation, like around any idea that comes up, I always have boiling and I, I eat my fingers and I have to do around. And for me, uh, it's been an opportunity because I have seasoned. And let's say how, how when you put some seasoning into it, I have always brought into my little self personality into the program, and I take these kids and I do the seven lessons elsewhere. Like I go all around the city doing things that I have in mean, some of them. Yesterday I went to the Nuevo Circo de Caracas, which is a it's a landmark here. It's a, it was a, a bull. How do you call a bullfight arena? A bullfight arena built in 1919, and it, it, it's a beautiful place. And it's a little abandoned, but they have started to bring it up again to life. And it was amazing. I enjoyed myself more than the kids in that place and the photographers that I bring with me to work. And I also bring people, I invite the fellow photographers to join me and give the lessons according to their sensibilities. I know certain people are perfect for determined classes. 
because I know them. I know their, their skills or they, they do the things they do. So I think that brings up much more people for the kids to know, much many different points of view, not only my point of view of teaching everything. So they are enriched by also seeing different people. They're learning different places. They, they learn their own city. They haven't gone to anything that it's even around the San Agustin area. And then I always add a, an, an extra class because I always feel that I want to do more. <laughs> it's like an obsession. So I'm doing this lesson Friday. It's on Zoom with Diana Vileira, which is an editor. She lives in Madrid. She works at La Fabrica. She's like this amazing cultural promoter. And she's giving them a fanzine class to create their own fanzine where they're going to stock their pictures. They're going to sew it. They're going to create their photo book. They're going to add and write on it. So we are super excited about, about that class. Everybody wants to come to that class to see you it. You took it to another level. Now I'm like, okay, let's go to Venezuela and do it. No, and we're having the graduation at Teatro La Mera, which is also a landmark that all my friends see me. What are you doing? Because I go to all these places that people really hear on their state. It's not that I think that I'm Queen Mary, but people on their state. And Romina knows because she lives also, she's Venezuelan. And we have this taboo of going to many places and seeing so many things. They're wonderful and people are missing them. So I try to see it as a benefit of my, for myself as well. So I, I really take advantage of your program. Wow. It's a joy. Thank you both for sharing. I'm just smiling ear to ear over here listening, not only about your experiences in the program and everything that 100 Cameras is lucky enough to get to work alongside each of you about, but also just your own creativity being infused into everything you do in the program. and. We also have a saying here at 100 Cameras that, yes, of course, we love curriculum. We love continuing to evolve it over the years and we believe in it, but it's also just pieces of paper and it's the educators, the creatives that bring it to life and bring it into the classroom. You are the ones that make it everything and make it that incredible, unique, tailored experience, as Lydia was mentioning earlier. And so as I'm sitting here, I feel like we have to do a little bit of a pivot here and talk about both of you as creatives, what inspired you to get involved in your creativity, what are your mediums, what are current projects you are working on, where can we see all of your work? We want to hear it all. Go ahead, Romina. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. I'll take on that. I like to get involved and understand the world through photography. That's how I think I became more obsessed with photography because I saw the camera as a tool to ask around any questions I had. And I wanted to, you know, know more about a certain field or a certain person. And so I just decided that the camera was going to be my perfect excuse. And I started in Venezuela, where I come from, and uh, I went through the country with the school that I study at, Roberto Mata, Taller de Fotografía. And I learned about the people, I learned about the country in a way that I wouldn't have if I wouldn't have taken up the camera as a tool of expression. And that made me realize that I really wanted to learn more about documentary photography and photojournalism. And that took me to New York 
where I live, although I'm not there right now, but I live there. And through doing this program in photojournalism and documentary photography, I learned to, to start to tell stories. And I have been trying to tell stories about resilience. And usually they go along with the informal economy and vulnerable populations and how they actually make ends meet and how do they make it happen. And a few years ago, I started a master's in anthropology, visual anthropology, to integrate the visual with the academic and try to go deeper into my interviewing and, and the research of different topics. And that leads me to share about the project I'm working now, which it's called Beach Vendors. These are people that sell merchandise uh, on the beaches around the world. I have started with Latin America. It is very interesting to see and to learn about people that take the beach place as a place of work and not as a place of leisure. And what I do is a portrait. I like to work with a medium of portraiture. Before I was doing a lot of storytelling with more of a documentary approach. Now I have taken on more portraiture. I work on digital, although I also do some series in film. I still have film and in different formats, like 35 medium and large format. But for this project, I decided to work on in the digital form. And I, I just recently shot uh, here in Argentina a series uh, of portraits and it was beautiful, just such a beautiful experience. Also because I think photography and getting into telling stories allows you to see things or like highlight things that not everyone is thinking about. And, and that allows them to bring in a conversation that maybe it is not there because nobody's looking and detailing something so to go a little bit deeper into it. It will become an NFT project. I don't know if you know about NFTs, but this will become an NFT. It will be my first collection, what's called a Genesis collection. And there will be certain things associated with the NFT, which is what gets me super excited because I decided to give back to the beach vendors. I bought from them two products that I have with me to deliver to the first person that buys the first picture. And then I also, I have a release from them, a model release. And with that, it is stated that I'm going to give them a 10% of the sale, which brings me a lot of commitment into understanding that their time is valuable and they gave me their time for an interview and for the picture. So I'm putting this whole social thing related to the project so that it's not just me taking the photos, going and selling them and showing them, but they also being involved. And yeah, it's a fun, uh, let's say, exploration into this new world. So yeah, I, I'm not going to take up much time, but this is what I'm doing at the moment. <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you, Romina, for sharing all of that. I can't wait to see the images. Yes. <laughs> I can't wait. NFTs, I cannot wait. Yes, I've been following, I follow Romina, I've been following you, your recap of the other days on the beach and I think it's great and I congratulate you as well for jumping into that a new world, that it's going to be the world in the future, in part, maybe not whole, I don't think it's a whole of anything, everything's like parts, but it, it's great, super interesting. 
Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because this new world, I wonder so much, all the kids that we work with, how much are they going to be part of this world? And how much at some point we, as facilitators, intersect and, and say, look, this is also happening. Because sometimes, I don't know if you relate to this, but you go to these uh, places to teach photography and there's a whole world happening completely different than the one you're going to, to photograph or to teach. And how do you bridge that gap? that sometimes exists and that is it our mission? I, I don't know, but it's interesting to think about how to, I don't know, share a bit of new things. More so if we're working now, like Elizabeth with teenagers, just so young and can learn so many things. And just last thing before I pass this to Elizabeth, thank you, Elizabeth, for mentioning that you're following process because what I decided to do was to share every single part of my process on Instagram. So every day I post a reel sharing what I've been doing towards the project. Today's day 25 of 100 days that I will share the whole process. So anyone that wants to learn how to do a project can go and see what I've been doing. It's just one way, one, one path, not the path. It's interesting because sometimes I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's instinct. You don't know. From me, I have a before and after life. My before life was I am an oral surgeon. Actually, I am graduated here. I did a fellowship in New York at NYU, several hospitals there. And they, when my daughter went away from Venezuela to study in the U.S., I mean, it's not that I was depressed, but I was very sad because, I mean, it broke our our synergy and the way that our family was working. So, and she's my older daughter. And so I decided and, and surgery and the dentistry was, you know, downsided at the moment. And I was tired. It was like 20 years working. So I decided to put into professionalism, my hobby, which was photography for a long time. I've been a, 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 a hobby photographer forever. And I decided to go study. So since my obsessions are like that, I went to study. I did uh, study at the CF, which is a center of investigation in photography. Then I did more recently the master's in Spain. Of And I started as a, I'm very fond of being, uh, we call here a, a gestor cultural. It's like a cultural promoter. I, I love promoting a museography and, and curatory and and exhibitions and programs like these hundred cameras. And I'm like a culture promoter uh, surrounded by the photography all around. So I, I started working for the Passion of Frank, uh, generating projects for them. But uh, on the side, I was doing like my personal photography, which, which started as documentary. My main interest has been always been humanity, like the men, general, not men as a gender, but men, women. So I always did street photography, different cultures when I traveled. I went all that path. And when I decided that I needed to put together what my personal projects were, because I'm 54 years old and I haven't been doing this for since I was young. So it's I started only seven years ago. So I, I, I want to do many things before long. It's not that I consider myself old, old or anything, but it's not the same thing as if your path has been from young forever, like 20 years doing something. So I decided to do the masters to put together the concept of my personal projects, which are mainly three of them. 
And one of my projects, there is a word, I don't know in English it exists or not. In Spanish it's called pareidolia. It's a phenomenon of humanizing objects which are not human. It's like when you see a cloud and you see, ah, there's a horse there. Or you see very popular, like in Marvel, like the Madonna face. When you try to, when you locate human aspects on, on, on non-human things. So I was doing that instantly in, into trees, into rocks, into nature. I was like finding all these things. And I've been doing that since I was starting. So I found that I had a whole body of work um, about that. And I jumped into a, somebody that is actually a promoter as well, which is Ricardo Benaim. He's, a, he's an a, artist. Uh, he lives, he's Venezuelan. He lives in Barcelona, Spain. And he loved my work and he put it together with a writer. And it's also Venezuelan living in Madrid. So she wrote for my images and put together a something that it's coming out as a book, hopefully next week, this week, last week, <laughs> it should be here. It's called Inversed View in Spanish is Mirada Inversa. And it's really something about you seeing, but actually being seen by these things. There are not things and not humans and the way that you have to slow down and connect with your surroundings. And it's more or less about that. Devoting that book to a Pasiona Frank because it goes very much into seeing the other. And Spasiona Frank is fundamented into the philosophy of the otherness, which is was developed in Germany after the philosophy of the self. So it was the, the otherness. It's like seeing each other in the other as a mirror of ourselves and, and that kind of philosophy. It's it's what that is was based on the foundation of Spasiona Frank. So I'm devoting that book, my first book to them. I'm doing a presentation and I hope to do it with an exhibition of selling pieces that are not in the book, they are more commercial and very beautiful. Okay, so that's one project. The other project is that I was stopped in the pandemia on my 48th floor building in Florida. And I started seeing again the beach and the, the, the geography, the nature comes into the water and to the sand and it was like devastated. There was nobody there. Men started started to jump into nature in a way of jumping into themselves. And there were all these portraits that I took with a 600 millimeter lens from the 48th floor. So it's these portraits of these people in very weird connections with the landscape. So it's becoming a book as well, hopefully soon, by the end of the year, maybe. I'm working with a very fine designer that it's very much with me connected into the work. So I'm, I'm happy about that. And when my third and last, which it's been very slow, it's a project by my father. I've been very much into the archives and for a long time. I adore archives. I've, I've been doing personal projects of my family in personal books that I have developed of our family history and beautifully with lots of images. And I have all these uh, images and the archives are, have been organized for a long time. And I'm doing a project about my father, which is a very polyphacetic 19-year-old man uh, who has all these interconnections of his personality and photography mainly into all of them. So um, I'm organizing his archives and I'm doing some interviews and it's very slow because I don't even know where it's going. I, I know more or less in my mind the universe that I want to create, but it's, I need to devote to it. So since I've been doing so many projects for Espacio Frank and I've been doing these personal projects, I haven't had the time to immerse myself 
fully into that, which I hope to do. I've been doing it slowly, but hopefully the next year I'm going to jump more into it to do it. I don't know before his life ends, but certainly I'm going to do it uh, for sure. So to into that, so it's a little bit of, of about myself. So moving just to hear two incredible artists talk about your work, I'm visualizing it all in my mind's eye and I, I want all these books and I want to see the images and I'm just so inspired by both of you on a personal level and on a creative level. And you both spoke to something that I'm seeing an overlap. You both said a little bit about process and how, and Romina, you said you're documenting your process in these reels that you're sharing. And Elizabeth, you just said you're not exactly sure where it's going to lead you, but you have a sense of the universe and where you're headed. And you just both seem to have this trust in the creative process. And I would love as a way to wrap up our conversation, sort of a final question that's coming to me is if you were speaking with a young person or someone who's new to creativity and the creative process, and they know they have a story to tell, they, they have a desire to share and express, but they don't know where to start. What piece of advice would you start them with? Go ahead, Romina, you want to go ahead? You, you start and I'll take well, yours and bring mine in. <laughs> I can only start, but whatever you prefer. You know, and actually I love this question. I love this question because I am an ultra fan of creative processes. For me, I kind of expected that you were going to do this question. It's funny because I have this like a witch thing. I, I, I'm always, it happens to me all the time. I can, I could stay endless hours, say the, all the casualties. I don't know how to work. I have to figure out. You're connected. You're vibrating in the. I don't know. I energy. No? <laughs> I <think laughs> yes, it's like a witching thing. It's like this sparkling around. No, it's really, it's not cash. It's not casual. This question is very important. No, being serious now. Because creative process, it's everything. You have to always first imagine everything that you want to do in life. That's at least what I say to my kids, my children. Uh, you are capable of doing everything you just set up your mind to, basically. I mean, in terms of having a, a nurtured environment to do so. I know it's very easy to say, but you always have to imagine and you have to create this fantastic world of this grandiose thing that you want to do because you have to think about the whole big uh, Broadway production and then you take your first pulse. You take this little step, but you cannot... Start thinking about the little step if you don't have the whole picture. Maybe you don't have the budget to do like this whole fantastic thing you want to do, but you need to have the major project. And you might take a hundred years to, to pursue the end, but if you don't start with a major project, there's no way you can build that path into the major project. So you need to have your, all the ideas put together, everything in a large production, think big think large, think amazingly, and then you start building and some projects, some are going to take longer, some are going to arrive faster. Some that I thought were going to arrive faster end up at last and some of them that I didn't think about at all, it's going to be like, wow, the premium thing that ended first. But I recommend that you think big, you think e, that everything is doable, 
And you just work nonstop. You have to be open enough to change through the path in, in ways that adapt to, to what you're doing and, and in order to fulfill the end product, which is what, what your goal has to be. So, well, this is the way I develop myself and I conduct myself. So, well, that's my recommendation for anyone. I love so much that you shared your process because it's completely different than mine, <laughs> which means that it's great because there's so many different types of people in the world. And so one thing that I've learned is that mm, some advices go for some people and some advices go for others. Like for example, I cannot wake at 5 a.m. and be this super person, the 5 a.m. club. That's not my thing. But that is all to say that, that I love hearing your process, Elizabeth, and I admire you for everything that you shared. And I will take on some of those and try to apply them to mine. And if I was telling a young person or an older person, whatever person that is starting to do a project, some advice, The first thing that I would say is start knowing that it is okay not to know. It is okay not to know what you are doing. It is okay not to know the end result. It is okay that you are not sure because there's a lot of fear in the process sometimes of creation and there's a lot of anxiety to please other people with what you do and I think that it is okay to start not knowing. That would be my first thing. Second thing would be, it is okay to know that things take time and that you're not going to necessarily have your project done in one month as you wanted it. It might take time to develop the idea. It might take time to reach the people you want to reach. It might take time to become something. Like we take time to become whoever we are becoming. It, projects also have that kind of process, I feel. And the one thing that definitely you should consider is the most important thing is to start. You just need to start because we can go in our heads with the idea over and over and over and don't start. And then time will pass and you, but time will pass and it can pass you having started and trying something or having still what to do and not going with the flow. So definitely start your project. Definitely know that it might take time and that's okay. And that it's okay not to know it all. Fantastic. That's my advice. Thank <laughs> you both. Thank you as well. And I, you reminded me of my father because you said something that it's so true and so great, which is things take the necessary time to completion. And we don't know which time is that and which I do agree completely. And I apply that to myself. So we share that in common. And also the starting thing, it's definitely something you need to start. You cannot go around. I, I totally agree yeah. and I use your tools as well. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both for sharing that. I'm just. Again, on a personal creative level, and I'm sure people listening are feeling the same way, just this inspiration, invigoration, just so much food for thought in this conversation to launch any 
anyone who wants to explore their creativity or express their creativity that path. Which um, would be one of your advices. I'm curious. <laughs> oh, gosh. Make it short and sweet. Something I've incorporating into my daily life and creative practice is space. So giving something more space than I think it might need, whether that's sleep on it one night, meditate on it, take a breath, just infusing the process with pockets of space. Absolutely the truth as well. I appreciate it. That's great. And Angela? <laughs> a great question. <laughs> I love it. It is such a hard question to answer. The first, I'm just going to go with the first bit that came to mind that I think just speaks to probably where I'm currently at. And that is, I would just say, keep trying. And once you try it, be willing to let go of it. I think I could see where I've practiced this pressure. If you try, you have to finish. Or if you try, it has to be perfect. And while there are definitely things to pursuing excellence and finishing what you started, I think sometimes the emphasis can be so much on those that we aren't feeling the freedom and the creativity to just keep trying, just keep throwing spaghetti at the wall, so to speak, and see what sticks. And I think that's something I'm trying to lean into more and I wish I could have learned that freedom a little younger, I think, that there's power in just the, the tries. I, I feel like I could talk to you both for hours, but I'm, I think, thank you. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for spending some time with us. And not only for sharing your own individual perspectives and passion and sheer creativity, but also for being a part of the 100 Cameras family, community around the world. Before I finish the recording, I'll just ask each of you to say your full name. So Romina, will you go ahead first? Yes. So my name is Romina Hendlin, R-O-M-I-N-A-H-E-N-D-L-I-N. If you Google me, you will find me. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. And Elizabeth? It's Elizabeth Schumer. It's E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H-S-C-H-U-M-M-E-R. And you can see all these projects I've been talking to you about on my link stream. We're so grateful to be connected with you and to learn from you. And yeah, just until soon, until we talk again, we're sending all our love. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for keeping to welcome us here. Thank you so much for being here with us. To see highlights from this conversation and more, visit the 100 Creatives website at www.100cameras.org backslash podcast. <laughs>